Hi, I'm Tony Duchesne, and we have to acknowledge that this is the first show of Drinks with Tony in 2020. I looked in the mirror today, and I got to say, I don't look a day over 2019. Happy New Year, happy new decade, and thanks for listening. Hi, this is Mary Ladd, and you're listening to Drinks with Tony. And on the Drinks with Tony show. You're listening to Drinks with Tony. I'm your host, Tony Duchesne. Today on the show, we have Mary Ladd. She is the author of The Wig Diaries. And I need to just read the back of the book. The copy on the book is so perfect for... I can't even describe the book myself better than this. The Wig Diaries is Mary Ladd's disrespectful cancer book delivered with humor. However, Ladd is not phased by existential gloom nor delicate sympathy. With no-nonsense revelations, Ladd's bold use of black humor in this context is precisely what makes this topic so suddenly refreshing and approachable. The Wig Diaries ultimately addresses the gravity of cancer, inviting the reader to be, to bear witness to both the horror and the jokes. Um, the book has drawings by Don As- Asmussen, is that Asmussen? How you- yep. Asmussen, and he is the creator of Bad Reporter. Mary, that was a mouthful. I should have done a few takes of that because I feel like I didn't give enough smile at the beginning. Mary, how are you? I'm, I'm fabulous. I'm so happy to be here. We are at Cafe La Boheme, which is like seriously one of my one of my favorite cafes in the world. I don't think I've ever found an equivalent to this place. It's amazing. And also, I mean, they have homemade Palestinian cake yeah. and there's music and warm soup. And it's yeah. just warm, creative space. Very welcoming. I, well, I used to come here like in the late 90s and 2000s and it was a salmon bagel with like cucumbers and everything and a coffee free refills for less than five bucks and they could not get rid of me for hours and hours. I would just sit here and write. I just took a photo of the, my favorite table here. Do you know what, do you remember what you wrote there or? Really bad poetry. Oh, all right. <laughs> As one does at a cafe. <laughs> I, right. did, I did write some of Jesus Jerk here. You did? Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Right. Um, but we're here for you. Yes. Oh, this yes. is great. Okay. I love, I love the wig diaries. This comes from, well, I really like that you're not phased. Okay. First off, let's talk about how you're not phased by existential gloom. Really? Why? The, what, what's the, what, why, why not? I mean, why not just move forward with it? Like, I have, my daily life is existential crisis that I'm trying to talk myself out of and into like real life. So, is it is it you're not phased by the existential gloom of the cancer or are you not phased by existential gloom in general? Because if you're not in general, then I need to get in your head. No, I think it's just the cancer because I think I realized that there was so there's nothing I can do to oh, make okay. it go away. Yeah. And so why not just keep moving forward, like kind of make a timeline of well, what is it I, ne- I need to do next? What wow. test, what surgery? you know, things like that. But the bad news is there is no endpoint. So even though I'm not in active treatment right now, there's still all these after effects and there's not one building that my health insurance is okay, but there isn't one building to go to, to just riff with other, you know, folks that have gone through it or who can help you through the emotional, the, a lot of PTSD, um, like sexual health just kind of disappears. And, and so I, I think that I've always been oriented toward, being busy, staying busy, and so it's kind of creating busyness yeah. to navigate it. Well, uh, yeah, that that's a good point because you you can end up being cancer free and have survived, 
but there's PTSD involved. What what do you do when uh, when you're trying to work through that? Do you get a therapist? Do you uh, how how do you work through that? Or do you, or do you just like go randomly beat up a stranger on Thursday night? <laughs> I've stopped yelling at strangers on Muni. Um, I you know uh, getting therapy is such a good idea, but I haven't. It's sort of I couldn't figure it out, and my insurance said, well, if you go to eight sessions, we'll pay for two, and and we'll maybe reimburse you, maybe not. Yeah, it was just this. Not it was unclear yeah. what the financial output would be. Yeah. So at the time, I didn't do that. I did. I was desperate enough to find other folks going through it. And yeah. so there's um, one community here called Bay Area Young Survivors, and it's for folks who've been diagnosed before they're age 45, like me. And so they can completely relate. Yeah. And we have a really um, we have a lot of events. I plan our dance parties. Oh, that's great. And then, but there's always online things I can read or someone yeah. I can reach out to or someone I can text. And the hard part is, is that our members die. And that's right. really hard. Yeah. I'd say that's probably one of the hardest things yeah. because it's, but wait, she was okay. Or, but wait, it, it, her, it, it recurred, you know, cancer right. comes back. Yeah. And so it's, you know, when people are so young, it's sort of, we're similar to folks who communities who have lost folks to HIV and that and AIDS and that a lot of us are have not gone through the disease and horrendous treatment and lost many members and then there's that you know there's a lot of us still around and then but the fear of recurrence is always there but I think just staying in touch with others is a good way because they understand the craziness yeah the mental craziness that can come with you know not feeling understood or feeling um, kind of dismissed, but but you finished treatment, right? You're good, right? Exactly. Yeah. America, we just want to be told, like we just if someone says how are you, right. the most American thing is to say I'm good, yeah. I'm fine, and how do you say, what do you say when you're not? Yeah. You know, no one really wants to listen, yeah. and so it's sort of just saying oh, I'm here or something like that yeah. or. Or maybe talk about what I eat for lunch. Sometimes that's easier, yeah. you know, than the emotional stuff. Well, I'm the weirdo that someone goes, how are you doing? And I said, oh, my uncle killed himself last week. I mean, I'm the guy that will tell that to a cashier. <laughs> and half the time they're like, don't have, they don't even want to make eye contact. But the, a lot of the time there's a real empathy and like people will be like, I have been through that too. And it's like, I need to tell people that when I'm in huge crisis and I don't care if people think I'm weird but because there's going to be that you know one in five that goes I get it and that's all I need is an I get it that we just want to be heard you know and seen and in that case and 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 less alone because then it helps with the middle of the night stuff the insomnia the worry it's knowing that someone saw you and heard you and can they can't take it away but they've heard you and and I think we just want to be heard you know we're all we're busier than ever and we're lonelier than ever right And so connecting with people, it's a, important, but, but it's very hard yeah. to, to be vulnerable and let other people be vulnerable and listen. Right. What, um, and you have a part in your book where it's like, how do you tell, how, how, do, you, how do you land the bomb? You know, because um, I was thinking about, uh, I was thinking about other people and like where you're like, when you tell people you're going to marry somebody, but a lot of people don't like that person or, you know, there's other bombs out there. Yeah. But how do you land the cancer bomb on your friends and family? And then at the same time, did you ever, did you have any, um, I mean, I know people get scared. Like we were talking about with the kind of the American way, hey, everything's fine. 
people will get scared enough where they'll kind of stop talking to you because it scares the shit out of them. It's, uh, I, I, I threw a hundred questions at you. Don't remember any of them. Just, just enjoy yourself and talk amongst uh, into the mic. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. So, um, so with telling people, for me, I felt uh, email was good for telling wider community. And I'll be honest, I wasn't. I'm. I'm not. You can't plan how you're gonna yeah. react to can't your own cancer, and then. Yeah, yeah. Um, so email can be good because then it's it's uh, lobbed out to them in the universe, and if they can respond, okay, and if not, that's okay too. Yeah. So I try to give people um, uh, kind of forgive them when they yeah. when they can't do it. We we don't I don't think we have the language and the skills to navigate illness and death. Yeah. And so suddenly I represent both of those. Uh, yeah. And if someone's not comfortable with their own mortality, right. um. If they haven't had someone go through it, they might not be up for it. And so I had two people I'm very close to in complete denial. And they weren't able to listen. And they sort of interrupted me and started explaining um, other people who've gone through it. And now they are, they're just so accomplished. They've achieved so much, you know, they, they're, and, and, and it's just talking and filling the space. So they're really not comfortable with the space. Um, Almost, almost just staying silent in the acknowledgement and going, wow. And then just sitting there and being totally awkward and go, this is weird. And it's weird for everybody. And this sucks for everybody. And is that, is that a good way of putting it? Yeah, exactly. Of just the awkward. Yeah. And also people um, would react because I think they thought, uh, I could see the calculations. Oh, wow. Is she a goner? You know, <laughs> like, oh, yeah. and they want to hold on really tight. Give me a hug where they're holding on. And I'd be like, oh, I know what this is about. Like right. they think I'm a goner or they're yeah. not going to see me again. Or they're just very, like sad to see me so different, you know, gaunt or puffy or both right. and bald. And, right. uh, and, and so, okay. Now I'm worried. Did I ever hug you that way? No, okay. no, 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 okay, okay. no, 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 no. <laughs> But, but yeah, it'd be this long, just overly long, yeah, like yeah, something yeah. from a Hallmark movie, right? right, right. And, and sighing at the same time. And it's sort of, oh, wow, they're really working through something. But yeah. all right, I'll just let them. It's, you know, everybody does weird things. So just get used to that. It's almost like you, you have cancer and there's a point where you kind of have to take care of all the other people reacting to it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and taking away their sorrow, their emotions and everything. And they can't, yeah. they can't, they just can't process it. Right. They're, they're probably in shock. They, yeah. Maybe they don't remember. As you are when you get the diagnosis. Completely in shock. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Not, not what, and you know, I'm glad the doctor did say on the phone, which I think that should be against the law to tell, tell someone they have cancer on the phone. A doctor oh, I'd yeah. never met, a doctor Sorry. I never saw again. Yeah. Um, but she did at least say, this is not what you wanted for your life right now. This is not what you had planned. And that's, yeah, obviously, you know, I didn't have plan this planned at all. And um, so, but what can I do? Just show up for the treatments and get the um, blood tests done and, and genetic testing. And, and also, as a writer, completely be accountable and just hey this is so much material yeah. there's so much weird weird stuff happening and wow it's it's interesting to write about it and share with folks and so I started doing that over email and a lot of them were writers and editors and creative people and yeah. so that's how the book 
idea came about. You know, people saying, well, you have you written for O Magazine about this? Or have you done a book? Why don't you do a book? And I'm like, I don't know how to do either of those. And I need, you know, permission. I need people to tell me that, you know, you should do it. Because otherwise I, I don't feel confident, I guess, enough that it could work out. That right. like, but, oh, if you think I should, Tony, okay, 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 I will. Oh, wow. But then it gives an accountability as well. Because yeah, yeah. you're going to ask me about it or, or email me or text me or whatever, right? Right. That's why I'm always scared to talk about my projects in progress because then when they ask again, I'm accountable and I'll be yes. like, oh, I've been flaking on that. <laughs> Thanks for reminding me. Yeah, but it's, I mean, it keeps us going, right? And, you know, one writer, she said, why don't you set your own deadlines? So I was like, that's ridiculous. I, I need an editor who's paying me to, like, I can be accountable to that. But this wasn't, you know, there was no person saying... Yeah. Here's a check-in. This is when it's due. And so it kept morphing and evolving. Yeah. See, my deadlines for me as a writer are, you're going to die. And how much, how much are you going to get in on your right. obituary? Because right. I don't want just one title or one film on there. I want, I want people to have a variety of things where they go, oh, wait, I heard of that one. Yeah. That's the whole thing. That's all I got. I think it was a wake-up call for me to realize, wow, I've been totally fucking around. It's like, I haven't... Oh, yeah, I was just waiting for Sunset Magazine to call me back or email me back and say, yes, we finally want you to write for us. And it was sort of stuck in this food writing. Not stuck, but not really landing the assignments, making the writing life I wanted. And then this sort of helped it change to... um, an editor encouraged me and she said, I'm so sorry, you're sick, but this is the so funny and this is really great writing and it's completely different. And, you know, I've been writing for her for KQED and doing profiles of chefs. It's, you can't inject too much humor and things like that. And so it was finding my voice and, and it's, it is a little bit of a persona. I think the wig diaries is like a sassier version of me or a, uh, amped up. I don't know yeah. if you ever in, encounter that in your writing. Oh, oh, of course. I mean, if, if I just, if I was me in my writing, I would bore everyone because I have live a very boring life. I, you got to kind of amp up the, you know, you hit the, you hit the plot points a lot quicker yeah. when it's on the page. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it can be, um, it's easier for me also to communicate all of this stuff written in the yeah. written word versus explaining it in person. Yeah. And it became, and I guess that makes sense. Okay, I'm a writer, so it would be easier to write it. Yeah. I mean, for me, well, for me, writing helps me uh, make sense of my life and what's happening. And if I don't write, I'm not a good person because I'm not making sense of stuff. And it's just the weird way I do it. And I think it's... I think it's really important. I mean, you know, just to, for people who have any type of crisis in their life, if you can write through it, and you know, it's it, it's not. I don't think it's therapeutic to write about it. It doesn't feel therapeutic. It feels awful, sure. but it also kind of gets you through things in a weird way. I don't. Yeah. Well, and I knew. Um, I realized that I was helping other folks because I would get messages. My aunt is can I share this with her my cousin my neighbor where's the rest of your writing where's more of this and so it was this need that helping them you know in the same way that other writers have helped me with other challenges in my life you know remembering how they navigated it or what it was like for them the making sense of it yeah No, all the, the writers I've read where I'm just like, oh, I get you. I connect with you. But then it's so weird to think, oh, wait, someone does that with me? <laughs> Freaks me out. Right, right, right. Really? A little bit. Yeah. Yeah? yeah? yeah, 
You don't want to picture yourself visit like in their brain, comforting as that comforter, or in the or like. I don't know if my writing comforts a lot of people, but, um, but it's just, I, yeah, it's just, I don't know. I, I, if I think about it too much, I'll just um, stop doing it. So right. I, I have to pretend like I have an audience of zero and a million because anything in between would just hurt me. Is it that you don't want your grade school teacher or somebody? Is it the po- the folks that you maybe grew up with or haven't seen? Like, is it that sort of like? How, what would they think? No, not really. Okay. I kind of don't give a shit about any of them. Okay. <laughs> no, no. I, it's, I, it's kind of, it's, when strangers reach out, it's very nice. Yeah. And I'm, and then sometimes they reach out and I like reply to them like within a minute because I'm so stoked that somebody actually gives a shit. Yeah. And then I forget that I actually do have things out there. I'm just going through what I'm working on now. So the past is just, it's like, oh, wait, that's history. But they're sure. connecting with an old version of me. It's, right. uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Old, the older you. Right. Yeah. 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 The, um, you're like five versions ahead now or yeah. you've shed things. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, I want to, they're, they're excited about things I want to go back and correct. And, and do editorial edits or try to find a way to do a recut on things. Exactly. Oh, no, exactly. Sometimes I'm like, oh, but I, even when I do readings, I'm sort of like, oh, like I want to change it. You know, yeah. it's that editing, the self-editing is always there, of course. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I do edit for readings myself because speaking it is so much different than on the page. Right. So I do have, I'll hit things a lot quicker if yeah. I'm doing a, if I'm doing either storytelling or. Right. That's a good idea. Yeah. The, I love, okay, so. Um, the, the first, uh, I think it's the first drawing in the book and it's about pitching a cancer book and it is hilarious. I was laughing out loud. It is, it just nails it It, because everyone's just like, Oh, what's the angle? What's the angle? What's the, um, what do they call it? The, uh, no, it's no, that's close. Not the story arc, the, uh, they're trying to find the marketing part of it and it's just it's it's yeah. it's really hilarious for a funny book like well it's there's funny and then it's also extreme horror all at once yeah. no matter what you take but right. but how do you, it's like how do you pitch something like that and you just come right at you front load it and you're like this is how you pitch it and this is what everyone tells right. you well so we don and i it's um so don we have enough connections and we we talk to people publisher yeah. Uh, some agents, and we just kept getting, well, we don't do cancer books. Well, we do do cancer books, but, you know, and it'd be this, like, fill in the blank of, like, yeah. well, you're not famous enough, right. and you're, and but they couldn't, could not yeah. figure out the word funny and cancer. Right. And, and cancer books are a tough sale when it's not, you're not an oncologist, or you're not already have some level of fame, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I get that. But, at our first reading, we even had someone who she ran into a relative of hers and said, I'm going to a, um, she told her what the book was about. And the, and the cousin, it was her cousin, said, what? Cancer it can be funny? And she, and she sort of was really taken aback, this woman. And I think that there's enough people that they can't figure out the dollars and cents of it. And yet I've had people buy 10 copies of the book at readings. And a lot of times people are buying two books, one for themselves, one for the person that's sick. Yeah. And then they come back and buy more. Yeah. And so it's, you know, I'm, I'm married to the, uh, to the managing editor of Ziziva and he said, we don't ever have someone buying just 10 copies for yeah. 10 people they know. 
But the unfortunate thing is there's so many people that have cancer or have had it or want to dedicate it to someone who's died. And so it's, um, and also just all, you know, all we can use for the, or in the ideal world is like, well, we bring humor to it and, and love. Right. And so that's all any of us would want. That's all I want really as I go through this. And so it's, it's, and it, but it's also a, um, a good, uh, template for people to understand if they're not sure what to say or do. Um, or my own cousin said, you know, you're the closest person to me who's gone through this. And there's so much that I didn't know you were going through and I really appreciate it. But he also has a hard time, you know, it's in the immediate past. But to know was a major suffering. It's not just, you know, <laughs> there's lots of bathroom time. There's lots of, you know, yeah, just yeah. The, the loss and the emotional stuff that aren't really, it's might not know. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Cancer's not in, but lupus is. Do you have lupus by any chance? Maybe we can do a book on that. Oh, right. No. Yeah. What are the end diseases, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, gluten-free or what's the one when you're, when you're allergic to gluten, do you have, what's that one? You, you, you're not sure. Do you have celiac with celiac, your, with your right. cancer? I think a celiac memoir would be really good. Or Don wanted to do a shingles one. He keeps saying like shingles, right? Yeah. Everybody wants to know about shingles yeah, yeah, yeah. just because they like to say it. Yeah. Right. Um, so yeah, I think it's great that piece it just, it's a testament to your book that people are buying multiple copies and it's because it's, I mean, I just feel like it's done so well and it takes you through, it takes you through a horror and it, and it ta- but it's in a, it's almost like a love letter to it. I did, have you, did you, have you thought about that? That's what I thought. I was like, I was like, she's almost sending a love letter to cancer for her, for, for, uh, but I could be completely wrong. So tell me I'm off my rocker. No, I think that you're, I think you're right in that, um, when I was having a very difficult time, I would, um, my brain was in a space of um, picturing people who've helped me. The, the healthcare folks, the doctors, the nurses, everyone that helps check me in, friends, but also people that I'm, I maybe haven't seen since I was in fifth grade. They're all thinking of me. And so it's sort of taking that and maybe, not that I'm grateful for the cancer, but yes, right. sort of of just, wow, most people maybe get to figure this stuff out when they're real old, like older than me, yeah. a couple decades older, and kind of getting their life in order, you know, wrapping up um, relationships that have gone by the wayside, things yeah, like yeah. that. But thinking of who do I need to repair? Uh, does that make sense? Or who do I need to treat better? And including myself, though, yeah. of like, well, if I don't do this now, then when will I? And, and our political situation being what it is, that sort of helped increase that desire of just, well, what kind of life do I want for whatever time I have left? Yeah. So it forced that hand. Yeah. I think it's intriguing because I, there, I know there's a lot of people out there who are in their 80s and 90s who don't even, they don't even have that awareness yet. And it, um, you know, like my grandfather, where there wasn't an awareness to, oh, it's just they stayed in their little cocoon. Um, maybe it's just because we're writers and in the writing community that we're constantly kind of being a little more open about it and trying to yeah. figure out our place on the, in the world. I don't, yeah, maybe. Right. right. Well, and also we have to claw our way, you know, for everything, for our creative existence. Oh, Not in relation to other writers necessarily, yeah. but to keep 
afloat financially, right? And so it's this struggle. And so I used to be competitive with writing um, when I was first starting, you know, but then I realized, wait a second, there are enough paths. Like we're not, I'm not necessarily writing the same as so-and-so. Like there were two people that I felt like, oh, they're, they're more popular with the editors, that sort of thing. They seem to have it easier. But once I realized there's other things, I have, I have different relationships with other folks. Why not just welcome folks who are newer, help other people, which is what I want or wanted, right? Someone to, if, if someone's being competitive, then it's, well, what's that about? I don't really know, but yeah. I'm not feeling uh, confident uh, when yeah. I do that. So, so I'm happy to be a lot more helpful to other people. Let that go. I think that kind of comes with a little bit of age and time because I've found like you, know, the, the, you know, I see some young dude or lady like kicking ass and getting great book deals, and I'm like, good for you, yes, because yes, right. it's just. It's so hard to nail it in the community. It's so hard to get published. And then if you can get published and get the extra benefits of it, it's like one of us is doing it. Thank you. It's still out there. And it's just, and, and, you know, there's some people that are just shitty and per people and you're like, ah, fuck them. But there's, but for the most part, a lot of these, everyone's just, you're just like, oh man, you you know, but we're in a, we're in a gig where it's just like, we do have conflict and creative clashing and we have to resolve that and then we're better friends for it hopefully yeah anyway um why am i talking about my own things we're here for you You mary you should it's drinks with tony your name's on the door (laughs) plus you plus you have gold knowledge to share right so sharing it with other writers it, it helps I think it's just fun to talk about writing with, with uh, writers. And, and then it's, and it's kind of hard to interview friends as well. It, it's harder yeah. for me to interview you than it would be to interview a total stranger who I shook hands with, we sat down, and Mike went on. I don't know why that is. Well, right. I mean, that makes sense. It's the whole, your comfort level is different. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's, the, yeah. The, I, but that's, uh, the, that's for my, uh, that's for my how to do podcast series. Yes, <laughs> yes. You could, if you haven't taught that, I'm sure you could, of course. I don't know if I want to teach it. Um, when did you start, when did you start writing and when did you, um, when did it move into food writing? Did you want to do, was it, was it the food writing first or was it the writing first? Oh, um, I started writing in third grade. And I edited the paper in high school, and I majored in communications in college and, and wrote in college. But I, I had marketing jobs, so I, do, I wasn't doing active writing until I, I realized I was about to turn 30, and I wanted to do food writing, and it wasn't happening on my own. So I went to cooking school and with the intent of, of, writing. of writing about food, because there's enough students there but not a ton of people going there specifically to write about food and it helped me accomplish what I wanted because there was a newspaper there and then I ended up doing my internship at the Chronicle and so it was um, and also folks that I'd reached out to before that who had sort of said well that's real nice good you know not really responding to any of my emails excuse me as soon as I let them know I was going to the Culinary Academy it was kind of open the doors wide open and oh you must be serious it's a sign of you must be serious about it so I did that and then um, that I did that for 10 years and then I was diagnosed and um, so I'd been freelancing and but I also uh, would do event planning because I'm good at that and it was sort of 
not 50-50, but roughly, I would say. And that was a good way for me to pay the bills. Once I was diagnosed, um, then the book, um, the emails went out immediately. It was like an email to people right away of, hey, I'm diagnosed. And that's easier than responding to their, how are you doing questions. Um, And then it took me two years to back out of doing event planning because it was too scary to 100% commit to writing full time. But someone had an event friend, you know, and and also events are so exciting. There's so much adrenaline. It's a real, it's, it's a, it's just fun, you know, and there's a ton of food and um, I've worked on movies too. And so it's sort of this, community you know you just go from one event to the next uh-huh. but you really bonds because it's super intense you know yeah. it can be like two intense weeks or two in- intense months things like that but um two of my really close uh, food writer friends kept saying while i was sick you know why are you still working on events this yeah. doesn't make any sense and i knew they were right but it took two years for me to just completely cut the cord because folks would come back you know i've planned events for litquake and yeah. and i just but I'm glad I did. It's such, it is a relief to, to just, um, and being in the writer's grotto helps me also do that to fully cut the cord and just say, no, I'm going to just make this happen. I'm going to give myself, I think I said, I'll give myself a year. And then it was fine. Like, you know, it ended up being fine. You went to the Chronicle as uh, intern. Is that where you met Oscar? Yeah, we met there. (laughs) I was in the food department and normally there's two or three interns and and he was the book editor and i knew who he was before i met him and i met him at a either a mcsweeney's event or litquake or maybe it was like a co-event but (laughs) so normally there's more uh interns but i always had to push all these boxes of books down the hall and schlep all this these books because they're like oh those are oscars because we had a ton of books delivered to us cookbooks Uh memoirs that are food related but all the official books had to go to oscar he was never at his desk when I would okay. bring them but um, but I sort of resented him of like who is this Oscar guy God you know I gotta yeah. like move all of his books but then once we met I was really intrigued because you know I'm a Bay Area native and you know I've sort of stayed in the area and everyone was so excited to see him at this party and so I was very intrigued all different kinds of folks were like running up to him and they seemed so enthusiastic and I was very intrigued like well who is he you know why is there why are people so excited and um so we I asked him out to lunch we went out to lunch the very last day I was there as an intern and okay okay let's stop for a second you asked him out to lunch were you romantically attracted to him or was this uh where were you in your emotional side of things with him well now yes however I had just gone through a really bad breakup probably eight months before six months before so I was living I'd moved back to my parents home I felt like such a loser I was sort of um commuting and like crashing on people's couches too and my plan (laughs) my plan was to probably move to New York or Paris and I was going to take this trip this credit card funded trip to Europe Uh the last day of my internship I was flying out that day I had my bag packed I was going to Europe I'd never done the a Europe trip or anything and I'm like if I don't do it now when will I do it And, um, and then we went out and well, so he, a friend of mine also going through a really hard time and she had done book reviews for other publications. And I told her, wait, 
I, I'm at the Chronicle. Why don't you get your clips together and I'll get it to the book editor? Because mm-hmm. I talked to him a couple of times and I submitted her stuff because I knew where the desk was because I kept delivering all those books and he never got hold of her, you know, and it's almost the end of my internship. So I went to his desk and he was there and I said, hi, um, I just wanted to check in and see where my friend Amy, you know, I, I turned in her stuff and you haven't gotten a hold of her and she's a really good writer. And he was trying to point to, you know, mind you, this is some years ago. So we weren't quite submitting everything over email. Right. He was still getting a lot of stuff by email. Yeah. He points to this tower that's about four feet tall. It's a mess, right? Those are submissions that he's trying to get through of people that want to review books. Yeah. Wow. So he hasn't gotten to her yet. And I was a little bit, I think, <laughs> and I said, well, she's a, you know, I'm kind of dramatic. I said, she's a very good writer. So you need to take her out of the bottom of that pile uh-huh. and, and give her a shot. And she sent me this email in caps. What did you do? Cause I guess, I guess he totally was like, where is this Amy chick stuff? I should check it out. And, but he wants it to be very clear that I was the one that asked him out. There was no, cause at the time the Chronicle had a reputation of, Lots of dudes just if you're yeah, if you're the the new youthful mm, yeah, female writer you you might get asked to whatever. Okay. And uh, but so I felt bad about being so bitchy like you gotta you know find her stuff and I said well you, well you're saying it's bitchy maybe, maybe he saw it as a you know this is a firecracker I like this yes, yes. well and on that first lunch he said you're you're so nice you know and I I should have corrected him right no one is just purely nice right. um, but we really really uh, connected because you know not only is there um, ample opportunity to go to libraries as children and our families both didn't have a lot and we both grew up the same type of evangelical Christian yeah. and I never have talked to anyone who's seen these same um, end of the world revelations cartoons he used to set up the projector for his dad they would go minister to people and so it's this really um shared experience and so we really hit it off but then i was like peace out i'm out of here i'm going you know i don't know where i'll end up but he also didn't seem to be bothered that i lived with my parents he was sort of like oh okay and then i learned why he tried to later in our relationship get me to move in with his sister and his brother in the man cave that they lived in near uh, Golden Gate Park. Uh-huh. But it was like, you know, I cook a lot. And I'm like, well, where's the spatula? And they're like, look in there. And like, things would just fall out. It was just too chaotic. And, yeah. um, but, and I connected with his siblings as well. It's like, these are my people. Yeah. And oh, 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 I had overheard him on the phone uh-huh. at the Chronicle. He was talking to somebody. And the way he talked, it sounded like my brother and my brother's friends because he was talking about football. And I'm not the world's biggest football fan. Right. He's like, let's rip this shit up. And it was just, I know that it's sort of a siren call. I'm like, I know this person already. Yeah, yeah. I know the way you talk. I know your experiences even before knowing him. Yeah. So. Wow. So then when, so you ask him out, except, yes. and then uh, do you go to Europe? Oh yeah, I went to Europe. And my friend did you cut your stay kind of shorter or did you no 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 because mind you I still didn't have a plan it was sort of am I gonna move there maybe maybe not a chef I knew was over there and and then I was invited to go cook in Italy and but it just was it's it was uncertain if that makes sense of where to go and and the Chronicle had said I could keep writing for them or keep uh, pitching them you know and so 
so he, he um, my friend joined me and uh, and I got emails from Oscar and I told him about this. We had the really uh, traumatic experience in Venice where we thought this guy was trying to come in and hurt us. You know, he was right outside our window. We were on the ground floor. But I think the way we, we, uh, we kept the stalker at bay is that we had been walking a lot and it was summer in, in, in Europe and our shoes smelled so bad, like repulsive from like, you know, 15 feet away, you could smell it. Uh-huh. We put our shoes out by the door and, and that was before this guy had tried, we, he was trying to open the door and come in yeah. and all this, and then there's no desk staff. And so I told Oscar the story over email, but not including the part of like, my smelly shoes kept this stalker uh-huh. from hurting us. And he just said, oh, this is just, just terrible, you know? Please let me take you out to dinner so that I can see those lovely eyes again. I was like, oh, Ooh. so he is interested. You know what I mean? That's when you realized he was interested. You were in yeah. Venice and he was here. Right. Wow. Yeah. So we went out and then and then I met his siblings soon after date three or four or whatever. And yeah. I'm just really connected. And it's it's easy. It's It's this easiness, you know, from the having so much in common right and then when did you tell him that it was your smelly feet that got that guy away you know i think he'll learn that now you know maybe really? no 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 i think i did tell him but yeah. later way later like you hide the bodily smell stuff right for right. as long as possible yeah. you don't want the person you're sleeping with to think that you poop or fart or smell right so nobody poops or farts or smells right no uh, but if you read the book, you'll know. Yes, you do. You, or you can't. You actually can't when you have cancer. Like yeah. it becomes so so difficult. And um, so. Well, I mean, and and I mean that that's a, and that's what's like we're, like with Oscar. You know, he's got a wife that has cancer, which just that's that's another relationship on his level, right. with with the whole thing. And he, um, I never was able to meet his mom. She had cancer. Um, and she died a year or two before I had met him. Yeah. And so he, she was supposed to, it was stage four when they found it. And she was supposed to pass away in a matter of months and hung on for four years. And so we had this experience of being in hospitals and navigating those spaces and yeah. those relationships and the difficulty, you know, of, of um, you know, mourning someone who's dying in front of you. Right. Who... You know, uh, so when I found the lump, I brought it to the attention of my OBGYN and she was older and she was getting close to retiring and she said it's probably nothing. Yeah. And it was uh, two things. Oscar learning from his own mom dying from maybe if she'd had a checkup earlier. Right. Um, insisting, go ahead, just get the second opinion, go yeah. somewhere else. And Angelina Jolie had also uh, been very public about um, her genetic, that she has BRCA1 and decided to do a preventative mastectomy yeah. in case, you know, cancer, the possibility of cancer. Yeah. So it was those two factors that helped me get a second opinion and move forward. But it took me a while because I wasn't sure where to go for a second opinion. And I look online, there's like 700 providers that I could right. possibly go to, call them. No, they're not accepting new patients. Yeah. It's unclear how much it'll cost. And so, you know, an extra $500, that's easy to just say, eh, yeah. I'll, I'll pass. Yeah. And many people have to do that with our healthcare system. And it, it, 
it makes the outcome worse if you're putting things off like this for all of these checkups you know um it's it's something we should be able to do without it being am i going to have money for groceries right or should i go to this doctor it shouldn't be either or right yeah it's crazy and 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 that's the that's the tragedy of Gilda Radner because if they would have got Gilda Radner's cancer earlier and she kept she had so much pain going on and on for right. so many years and everyone kept saying oh you're just anxiety 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 no cancer dead that's it's right. crazy it is it is it should be easier for us to figure it out with our doctors yeah. if we have it or not I mean when I turned 50 this year I was I was like I was backing my ass into the doctor's door going colonoscopy let's do this yeah, let's do this good. and but he was he's like no we have to do this first and then if we find something then it's a colonoscopy oh, and really? yeah and I'm like all right and so I might have to go get a second opinion about that but I'm the guy who wants a colonoscopy right. I might have to go get it on the corner of 24th and Mission from from one of the uh, backstreet people who you know who are like but that might they might be doing something different in my butt that I it's not about <laughs> But I hope you do follow up with that because that's even saying colonoscopy. It's it's that's another area where people are just um, there's stigma to it. And so they don't get it because it's a body part that we don't want checked out and stick it in. I just I I don't I want to live, man. Exactly. Well, that's good. I mean, that you can just navigate it, just make it happen. Right. Because then you'll be it's once you turn 50, you really do need to get one. Yeah. And, and I, you brought up something, uh, you know, about 200 hours ago when, when we were earlier in this interview. You brought up about um, the business side of almost making it the um, when you have cancer and you got to deal with all your appointments. It's essentially, it's almost like directing a film. You're getting your you're getting your crew together and you're getting the. It's it, it's really intriguing. I never thought of it that way. How much organization is involved and you know the just it's nuts. Yes. It's a production. It's a major production. And even, you know, some people wanted to give me a ride and then hang out with me. And that's not, for me, that didn't really work out because I just wanted to zone out and not be responsible for other people's feelings. Because it was like, they're just like, I'm so sad this is happening. And then I realized, oh, they're going to be crying or really just emotional. And I just need to be able to my interactions with the folks who were giving me chemo were good. These were good relationships. I was very appreciative. Um, And I was startled at how many people, there's people that are rude to the staff, you know, and it's like, these are the people that I just didn't want that energy, you know? And um, so it's easier to just cut out, (laughs) cut out other humans and just go by myself. And, um, and then uh, letting folks feed us. And that was, Sure, but it's also very difficult to be vulnerable. And then realizing financially, being a patient is almost a full-time job. The recovery, I didn't quite have the leisure of taking enough time off as a freelancer. And um, so then those same two friends who said get out of events were like, you should just let people know. They want to help you with money. So I always forget that people that aren't writers (laughs) have money. (laughs) It's nuts. And so a, a friend said, some of us want to make you our favorite dish. Some of us want to buy you a pizza since yeah. you love pizza. And others want to just give you money. And she said, but you should also know if I could go on the operating table, I would. Yeah. I was like, what? You know, but she's just saying, please let us help you. Yeah. Please let us give you money. And so it was 
you're right. It's been 12 months and I'm carrying this medical debt on my shoulders and not sure how I'm going to get out. And that's so common. Yeah. Um, and that, while there are a lot of organizations that'll help you, it's still just like, it's a copay kind of thing. Yeah. It's an insurance thing, generally speaking, and the missed work and, and yeah. reduced abilities. And so asking community to help with money was super hard. Yeah. And also, and people would say, I love you. Like in person, it's like, well, I have nowhere to hide. You know, I'm like bald and yeah. I can barely walk from the bathroom to my bedroom. Yeah. So I can't run away when you say I love you. Yeah. And yet it's, it, it's cool to be able to, for me to be uncomfortable with it and just yeah. go with it. Okay. Yeah. I love you too, right? All like, right. thank you. I'm glad you're here. It's way better than the alternative of me trying to figure this out on my own. Yeah. I, and the, yeah, you talk about that in the book too, the vulnerability of people actually giving you things and showing up to your place when you're just in, I mean, in the worst possible conditions, they you could probably, you know, ever even think that you would have ever been in. Right. Well, I'm such a social person. So I think that I miss the going all going to all the food events and all the writing events and, and, and so forth. And so I did enjoy the social part. I was usually really pumped to talk yeah. to someone and, and we'd play it by ear. Generally yeah. speaking, I stand at least and talk for 20 minutes out in front or come on in, hang out all for right. an hour. Um, I forget where I'm going with that having them come over, it being hard. Yeah. Oh, you know what was the hardest part is that I didn't, I felt embarrassed at how kind of dusty the place was, right? Oh, well, can't get to it. Don't have the time or the energy or the help right now. You know what I mean? It's not as clean as I want it to be. But oh, well, hopefully, thankfully, you know, they're not there to see the dust from all the books and whatever. And, it, and I mean, and I'm sure it brought you closer to a lot of people that you never thought would have been uh, yeah. in your life as as much before. So the surprise of some people showing up who, um, you know, wow, I didn't know yeah. that they would show up in that way. And also letting it go, the one or two people that just couldn't. Yeah. They just don't have it in them. And I shared that with a friend of mine. It's a guy. It's a writer. And he said, you know, I've totally bailed on someone in that situation. I'm like, I have too. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. You know, I had a friend whose mom died and I just didn't show up at all. Yeah. And we just don't have that in our, in us sometimes. Yeah. We just can't. And that's okay. Wow. There's others, you know, and just like, you have to, you have to forgive yourself that you weren't able to, you, you had to take care of yourself instead and in a different way. And that's okay. Mary, we got to end on that. Thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Super excited. Drinks with Tony. Yeah. Mary Ladd on Drinks with Tony. Check out her book, The Wig Diaries. As we enter the new year, we have our resolutions. That resolution might be Pilates, but sometimes you have to make a heavy decision like, should I do Pilates or should I eat custard? I'm glad you tuned in because the staff here at Drinks with Tony has your answer custard because it pushes those feelings of existential dread down even further into your spleen custard because your body deserves a cardiovascular challenge custard for its sustainability all custard in this program has been carefully selected for thickness do not eat custard while driving heavy machinery custard may cause thoughts of suicide if you experience anal leakage during custard consult your psychic reader thanks for listening to drinks with tony and have a great week